streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. so much for hopping on the the podcast and we're we're talking some Baylor hoops today so you know Kendall I think where we'd love to start is just could you give us a rundown of what that environment was like in South Dakota Sioux Falls and Baylor takes down Gonzaga in the literally the final minutes uh in in a crazy in a crazy one yeah so South Dakota is absolute garbage uh (laughs) state itself and there might be people that are from South Dakota that listen to it I hope that is now the impetus to remind you if you're thinking about moving out of South Dakota, go ahead and do it. Uh, nothing good I can say about South Dakota. I couldn't check into my hotel on time. It was snowing. The uh, wind was blowing at 40 degrees. So I often will go on these trips. Like I've been to New Orleans lately. I've gone to L.A., New York, uh, went to Vegas for the Continental Tires Classic. All phenomenal venues. Loved everything about it. South Dakota, I never want to go to again. The venue itself, though, Andrew, with the arena, there was something cool about being in a much smaller venue, but I'm confident you can find a high school in Dallas, Miami, Louisville, St. Louis, Kansas City, Branson, Missouri, Springfield, Missouri, literally anywhere else in America. So I know there's some spin zone going on right now about how great it was to play in South Dakota. I want that to never happen again. I don't care if they have to flip a coin to say we're either playing in Seattle or playing in Dallas. Never South Dakota is my takeaway. That's 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 fair. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, so you're not going back anytime soon to check out Mount Rushmore or, or anything else. There is no chance you could ever get me back to South Dakota if Baylor is not once again playing an elite team there. But no, never South Dakota. That's funny. Well, even even given all your struggles, Baylor did come out with the victory over Gonzaga in a thriller. How did you feel about that game, and what were your takeaways from that win? I think it was a good win for Baylor in the sense that every other Baylor victory, the UCLA game, even against some of these really bad teams they played in the non-con, it's been Baylor's offense that's had to carry them to the day. Mick Cronin at the press conference after the game in Vegas looked at the stat sheet. One of the writers from one of the L.A. papers, I don't know if it was the Times or something else, mentioned, hey, why didn't you do a little bit more offensively here? Mick Cronin just kind of shut him down and said, You've got to win games when you shoot 48% like we did and you're this effective from the free throw line. We just didn't stop Baylor's offense. So I thought the Gonzaga game was excellent because it was the game where Baylor could show, hey, the threes weren't really following. I think they might have finished like four of 20 from deep. LJ Cryer, I think, only attempted one triple. Scott Drew after the game, well, listen, Adam Flagler been battling an illness. But to see if they could win a game where their offense was not playing very well, finished at a really low offensive rate for Baylor's success, but the defense was able to adjust. 
slow down Drew Timmy, and then not get kind of bullied around by some of Gonzaga's guards. So even if they're not the best, I thought it was really nice that Gonzaga enters that game the number one offense in America, and they have by far their worst offensive performance that I can remember in the last two years. Yeah, we, we know that Baylor can shoot the ball, right? But to me, it felt at least the first half of the Gonzaga game, it felt like Baylor was doing a lot more things offensively in terms of penetrate, you know, dribble penetration in the lane, uh, and then kicking the ball out, playing inside out basketball, um, getting to the rim, creating fast breaks from defense to offense. Uh, was there a different feel? Did, did, did you feel the same way? Were they doing different things that they hadn't shown, you know, in previous games like against Virginia or Marquette? I think on the offensive end, a lot of it was sort of similar. I think two things kind of framed how the offense was different to me, Andrew. And I haven't gone back and rewatched on the Peacock Network. But in the arena, two things stood out to me. The first was that this was the first real example of Keontae George taking over against a great opponent. He had a good stretch for about two and a half minutes at the end of the Virginia game. But he was just absolutely electric, felt unstoppable with his long transition freeze and that play where he got to the hoop kind of bringing the ball in and got the end one opportunity. Yep. So that showed why when people were wondering, hey, is the Keontae George hype train kind of getting out of the station? It showed there's a reason why he is still a top 10 pick in ESPN's latest NBA mock draft. The second thing was Gonzaga put Drew Timmy on Jalen Bridges, <clears throat> which to me was kind of disrespectful to Jalen. He hasn't shot well, still isn't shooting well from three. I think he went like one of six in the Gonzaga game. But if Baylor's offense can get back to being the best or second best offense in the country, Jalen Bridges has got to be an effective scorer. Made some big plays late in the game, but until he can get back to being the scorer that Baylor expects him to be, I think that kind of puts a hamper on Baylor's ceiling offensively. So last week was a tale of two stories for Baylor. They obviously beat Gonzaga, which we just talked about, but they also got absolutely blitzed by Marquette, especially in the first half. They came back and were able to make it a tighter second half, but they lost, they ended up losing by, I think, 26 and fell from number six to number 12 in the rankings. Um, do you think that's something that's going to be happening throughout the season, like these ups and downs, maybe because of the number of new players we have, um, just building chemistry? I think it's possible. The defense, obviously, is the story of that Marquette game. I can't remember Baylor ever making an offense look that good, and especially one that Marquette has that is kind of unique, but it's nowhere near as good as Baylor showed them to be. Andrew and I were both on the presser that Baylor had on Zoom when the Bears decided to stay uh, in South Dakota or go to South Dakota after that Marquette game. And Andrew and I both kind of impressed Scott Drew about defensively, what are you going to change and what kind of stuck out to you? And one of the things they focused on was they wanted to make sure they weren't putting guys on islands quite as much. And that Marquette game, Will Bamba got taken to the hoop three times. Sometimes Baylor's defense was allowing too much action to get toward the middle of the floor which is away from some of where their help would end up being. So I've heard stories about the coaching staff was just an hour after hour in South Dakota. It was, you know, we're going to stay up for another three hours, take a 30-minute break, another three hours, not much of a break. And so they really focus on the defense. So I think there will be some of those up and downs that you talk about, but I think there's hope that they can get closer to being a top 40 defense than being a 77th-ranked defense I think they were after that Marquette game. Oof, that's... That's low for sure, and, and you're exactly right. Um, to me, the, the tenor of that press conference, uh, Kendall, was a little bit different from every other you know um, press conference, I think, at least virtually, that I've been in. Uh, it, it, was, it was still upbeat, upbeat and positive, but it felt like 
you know, hey, like we're not we're not together as a team. You know, there was definitely some underlying tones there. I don't know if you felt the same way, but going back to the Gonzaga game, uh, you mentioned that Coach Drew said Adam Flagler was battling an illness, and I would be remiss if if we didn't point out that and talk about that eight zero run, the last minute thirty, uh, where Flagler hit two two threes, and then um, and and then Baylor got you know the free throws with Bridges at the end. What uh did you see anything specifically from from Flagler at uh at the end of that game that that helped him you know turn the switch basically and and do that and then I guess was there anything more about the illness that that you mentioned? I think uh, Andrew Adams is a really big time shot maker. Whether it's that UCLA game where he hit the step back three to ice it in Las Vegas, whether it was that game where if Adam misses that first three when Baylor's down like eight points with about a minute thirty three left, game's over. If he doesn't make that second three, I think the game is over as well. And there's not a lot of space on either one. A little bit more on that second one when Bo had set a screen. Great screen. But absolutely no space yet beyond his own creation of those opportunities. And then you go back to that North Carolina game last year. It was Adam Flagler and a little bit James Akinjo really fueling that run. So when there's kind of this thought process out there, whether you want to call it Twitter, different message boards that say, hey, is Adam Flagler a real point guard? Yes, he's not Davion Mitchell where he will blow past you to the left and make a layup. But he's an absolutely phenomenal shooter. I think he's still over 50% on the year from deep. And I think that just shows how good of a player he is and how efficient of a player he is. And in terms of the illness, I did not get any other details from it. I saw someone mention it looked like Adam was hacking up a little bit. So I don't know if he had, you know, an upper respiratory infection. I don't know what was ailing him. But sounds like he wasn't throwing up or anything, which is a nice uh, thing since being in South Dakota certainly made me want to throw up. Yeah, yeah no, 100, 100%. <laughs> real, real quick, because you mentioned it, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as say like Adam Flagler is a true, uh, point guard. Um, that was, that was definitely great by James Akinjo last year, but he can definitely handle the rock and score and everything like that. You know, he definitely has his positives. Um, but I, I would say that Adam Flagler, uh, and I have said it is kind of low key, one of the best college basketball players, uh, uh, long, you know, in, in history, I would rank him right up there, especially if they, if the bears make a long postseason run and win another big 12 championship, uh, just want to get your thoughts on Flagler's legacy. I really think it depends, as you mentioned, Andrew, on how deep does Baylor go this season. So if Baylor keeps turning it around and follows the trajectory of the Gonzaga game, I think it's very possible to say, is he in that tier with Davion, Jonathan Motley, Jared, and how do you rank them all? Uh, I think Jared, Davion, and Motley right now, for me, are at least a tier above him. But I think you're going to get an interesting discussion about it, at least in the Drew era. I'm not as qualified to rank Terry Teagle and Benny Johnson in their college days. But, you know, what, how you want to rank those Darius Dunn with his senior season, how you want to assess Macy Oteague, Mark Vidal, and a host of other guys, I think it's a very fair question to ask. For me, I put him right in that next tier. And he's got a – you win a national title. You were a strong rotation piece and hit that shot that kind of daggered inside. You had the shot in the, yeah, in the title. <laughs> yep, the Flagler did. And then if you are, I think pretty clearly Baylor's best player this year. And he was – I thought they were, I know James Akinjo made all Big 12 first team and Flagler made second, but I think Flagler was Baylor's best player last year. So if you're Baylor's best player on two different teams and then you hit sort of the iconic shot, if you're going to have an iconic shot in that title game for Baylor, years going down the line, he's going to have a real case to bring in that top five. And a lot of seasons left to say, is he moving into that tier or does he end up kind of having an argument with Macy Oteague about who's the better guard at Baylor? That's interesting. All right, since, since we're comparing – Flagler and these new guards to old players. I got to ask you this. We've talked about Flagler. We've talked about Keontae George a little bit. 
Um, LJ Cryer is our leading scorer right now, and I would say arguably our, our best scorer. Um, maybe Flagler's the go-to guy in the clutch, but I feel like Cryer, Cryer is right up there. How would you compare this trifecta of guards to the trifecta of guards, Macy Oteague, Davion Mitchell, and Jared Butler, that led Baylor to a national championship two years ago? I don't think this backcourt is as good for two reasons. Number one, Adam Flagler was the fourth guard for that lineup. So if you want to just do the uh, trio, I can respect that and say if we limit it to the trio. But I think that factor said if you rank backcourts overall, that Flagler is better than Bonner or Love would be uh, comparing the teams two years ago. But if we just focus on those three, to me there's an argument that at their apex, this backcourt with how good LJ Cryer is from deep, Deontay George's ability to create on its own, and Flagler shooting supremely well to start the season. Offensively, you can make the argument this backcourt is as good and on a hot take, they may be better. But what would differentiate them for me is, if you argue it's pretty close, I think it is, the defense from that backcourt was just so unbelievable. Davion Mitchell, Defensive Player of the Year nationally. Jared Butler was one of the finalists in the top 15, I think, defender of the sport that season, for all except for the return from the COVID pause. And if Jared's listening, I've said you're the best Baylor player of all time, so don't come at me. And then Macy Oteague, I think, is an extremely underrated defender. And it kind of shows this season where Macy Oteague's length bothered bother people so much compared to now where Baylor's often playing a little bit smaller guard, asking them to guard big wings. And that puts Baylor's defense in a tougher spot where Macy could legitimately guard power forwards and front guys to the post. And this season, Baylor doesn't really have a guard that's well-versed to do that. Wow, that's a great, great apt comparison. Um, I Just a question, you know, real quick question on... Um, the Gonzaga. I keep going back to the Gonzaga game, and we're talking about the the guards. I'm curious about Keontae George. What what it was like seeing him in person that game? He of course had. I think he had a personal 9-0 run after Gonzaga went on like a, a 10-0 run themselves um, in in the first half to give Baylor that separation, and then he had some you know dirty three point plays, um, some dirty crossover moves in both the first and, and then late in the second half. Uh, but then it looked like you know. Well, how would you classify his response uh, when he got basically, you know, tomahawked on at, at the end, put Gonzaga up by seven with, you know, seemingly icing the game. And then, uh, you know, he, he goes and, and defends that last play uh, straight up and forces a, a tough missed shot by Gonzaga at the buzzer. Um, you know, how would you classify just the, his whole game that night and his response at the, at the end, you know, kind of not giving up? I thought it was really strong, Andrew. I'd point out everything you pointed out. The play before that, he also was successful in stripping the ball from Gonzaga. It's not a possible layup opportunity. I thought he did a good job walking right up to that line where the refs are probably going to give me more leeway on the final defensive possession. So, Rasir Bolton might argue I was fouled by Keontae George. But Keontae really didn't foul him much if he did. And he knew, I think, probably in that final play, they're not going to want to call a shooting foul on a guy jumping up, going to the lines, get a little more physical. And I think Scott Drew even was shouting, you know, play with your chest defensively. And that's what they were able to do. So I think that was a great poise and response from Keontae George. And then earlier in that game really showed it's just kind of unfair that Keontae can do a lot of things with the ball, but not offensively that just other guys can't do. And that's why one of the questions for Baylor going forward is can Keontae hit that next year? So when Baylor's having bad offensive nights, can they just turn to him in isolation? Maybe get a bucket or two quickly to stymie some runs. Baylor's had that problem this season where teams go on these 10-0 runs against Baylor, then you wake up and they're down 15 points. And although Baylor's been good at coming back from that, 
the best way to not have to come back from down 15 points is not get down 15 points. And so if Keontae can get a couple buckets for Baylor during those runs, that'll really help them out. Does it look like there's still a lot of room for Keontae to grow on the offensive end? Or is it more of just uh, a mental thing? I think offensively, there is some room still for growth. I think picking his spots will be a real question for him. But that's sort of tough when you're the guy who can pull up at 31 feet and drain a three to be like, well, should I take this shot or should I not take this shot? I think sometimes the biggest thing for him offensively, I think honestly, and you're like, well, what do you mean honestly? Were you lying before in the podcast? <laughs> but what I think honestly is that Keontae plays it's probably one or two steps faster than some of the other guys in the team. Or it's the problem, if you ever watched like Shaq back in the day when he talked about Dwight Howard, he'd be like, you know, Dwight just has to go in and get a bucket. And it'd be like, Shaq, I get because you're Shaq, you just assume everybody who's a center in the NBA can go out and get 30 points, but that's not possible. And you'll watch Deontay sometimes make these passes that are absolutely filthy. And then Baylor can't quite get to him, or Baylor drops the pass, or Baylor doesn't, or when I say Baylor, I mean the rest of the team does not expect the pass to be there. And so I think Deontay understanding just because you're playing with better teammates than you played with at IMG does not mean those better teammates are going to be all the way on your level all the time. And so the crazy passes he makes, like he hit low for an alley-oop uh, against UCLA, that's great. But he needs to be able to take a step back and say, not everyone can catch these passes, or not everyone's going to be quite as quick as me in transition. And once he does that, I think that's an opportunity for him to have fewer turnovers to be more successful. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Kendall, just looking at the whole, you know, what we've played so far this season, uh, would, would you, that Marquette game, would you classify that? Where would you rank that as, you know, bad, bad losses in, uh, in your coverage of, of Baylor? To me, that was the worst loss since I think Morgan, I had it Morgantown 2017 when the Bears were ranked number one and, and went up to West Virginia and got, got blown out, I think, um, where where would you have this one? It just didn't seem like we were ever able to to come back and and you know make one of those dramatic comebacks like we've like we had in the past. Yep, I think that's a good point. And you always look into like what are the games of hell. So I think you look at a few things when you make this list. Number one is how good is the Baylor team that took the loss. Number two is how what's the quality of the opponent. And then number three is what did the loss maybe tell us about how the team will go going forward. So for me. The candidates are that West Virginia game and why that one I think was so rough is we thought Baylor was maybe the best team in the country for all their wins, the non-con coming back against Louisville that year in the battle for Atlantis. Mm-hmm. 
and then seeing West Virginia force like 30 turnovers and how bad Baylor's offensive turnover numbers were, that probably spelled Baylor's going to be struggling going forward. But you compare it to some of the other ones, you'd be like, okay, obviously losing to Texas Southern was god-awful. They were getting absolutely crushed at Wichita State uh, that same season. Those are tough losses. What I think makes this one up there for me, or maybe even the toughest one, is I think this is still a really good Baylor team and probably better than that 2017 team, as good as it was at its apex. And I think Marquette is not that good of a team. So you compare, you know, Baylor getting absolutely housed in Lawrence last year. Well, he won the national title, and Baylor was dealing with some injuries at the time. I think this one was depressing because it made you wonder, is the defense just have issues that are unfixable? But the positive thing was getting to play Gonzaga and sitting, okay, a lot of different styles between Virginia, UCLA, Gonzaga, and Marquette. But at least knowing Baylor could hold the nation's best offense to its lowest scoring output of the season makes you hopeful that that game might be an anomaly or at least a path to growth by the end of the season compared to some of those other losses like the West Virginia one where we were just like, oh my God, if Baylor turns it over 30 times against West Virginia, this team's not a championship team. So I think you make arguments for a lot of the games over the last six or seven years. There have been too many bad losses like it. But there's a fair argument that's the worst loss Baylor's taken relative to those kind of three factors I set out. Yeah, I got to say, for me, it's the West Virginia game. That was my freshman year of college. I remember my mind being blown by how good Baylor was being the best team in the country for all of non-conference. And then I remember sitting in the Memorial Dining Hall watching that game on my friend's phone and just just being depressed about how badly we were getting blown out. Um, yeah, that's very fair. I remember that game as well. And it really was one where you were like, there is no spin zone. You played that game 100 times, Baylor would have lost that game 100 times. Yeah, totally. Um, so last thing I've got for you, Andrew, feel, feel free to keep asking. Um, I wanted to ask if you have any kind of update on Jonathan Chamachachua and whether he will be able to come back this season slash when he might be able to return. I have not gotten an update on this in a couple of weeks. Uh, this is a great question, and it is the one where if you ask eight people, you all kind of get them being like, they don't want to tell you exactly what's happening. My sense, and this again could change because I haven't asked anybody, is he has not 100% been ruled out for the season. I think coming into the early summer, the thought was they did not expect to have him, but I do not think Baylor has ruled out John playing this season. I think we all know John is an absolute monster at trying to get back on the court, loves playing, really cares about the team. My guess is they will probably have a chance to assess him later in the season, and then the issue will be, okay, can we get John up to game speed? Is there a risk of re-injury? If there's any risk, they won't play him. So my expectation is that he will not play this season, but he has not 100% been ruled out. And if there's one guy who might come back for an injury like that way earlier than expected, it would be John. But as a, if you, you know, gun to my head, I don't think John will play this season, but I would not want to have that gun to my head. Yeah, um, I can I can chime in a little bit on that. Uh, just from some sources that I've heard was, was that John's doing really well and, and way ahead of schedule. And whenever he does come back, it uh, it's going to be earlier than, you know, what a normal person would, uh, would have to wait to come back from it. Um, but I think kind of his work ethic um, and for all the reasons that we, we love him and the and all the stories that we've ever heard about him in the past, like he's doing the same things now, like just working up, you know, working, working out all the time and um, getting in the gym. And uh, I think he's progressed to where he's, you know, even like casually, you know, able to jump and maybe even dunk uh, the the ball type, type thing, just have some different, different sorts of workouts. So, um, but I, th- I think they'd love to have him back. I 
I don't think just from a safety issue um, perspective, I don't think he's going to end up coming back, but I would not be surprised at all if he, uh, if we see him down the stretch. So that's, that's, that's good info to hear as well, Andrew, that yeah, comports certainly with what I had uh, as well. So that, yeah, I would, I would say if the two of us are hearing that, I don't know if there's some other mystery out there, but I, I think we're, I think we've got pretty good info on that. And obviously his injury was, was terrible. You know, everything, every ligament that's possibly in your knee and leg was, was torn or shattered or whatever the <clears throat> proper word is, is, was gone. So the fact that he's already coming back this far is pretty impressive and, and remarkable. Um, Kendall, I, I, you know, you and I can talk about basketball, Baylor hoops all, all day, but uh, I, I wanted to ask you specifically, Flo Thamba, impressions on him and why he only seems to have his best basketball games when playing Gonzaga? Um, and then, and then two, what does this Baylor team have to do uh, in order to, to repeat as Big 12 champions and make a Final Four run? Uh, great questions on both fronts. I don't know why Flo plays his best against Gonzaga, but he does. Hopefully that gets him some momentum going forward. I think for Flo it's kind of tough because he's been around five years, and if he expects something to happen, I don't think he adjusts very quickly. If it's like, okay, Flo thinks they're icing the pick and roll, the defender expects that they're just, uh, you know, you know, fight over the top and not try and switch, or they're going to switch and not ice. And I think once that happens, Flo is not the quickest at reacting to, this is the assignment, don't play the wrong defense. Mm. And that sometimes puts Baylor in a tough spot. I, But I still, you know, optimistic for how Flo can end the season, given he played really well down the stretch last year after John's injury. In terms of winning the big, I think there's a list of where could Baylor be better than it is right now. Defensively, a lot of stuff you could talk about. I think offensively, it's, the kind of two big things for me, and I, this is both offensive and defensively, two big things. Number one, what in the world does Josh O look like come March? Yep. We've seen those flashes. I think the UCLA game is the one where he basically just manhandled the guy to steal the ball in an attempted post-up, and then the way he can get up on dunks, some of his blocks he's had. I think in the Gonzaga game, he had that big block as well. He can do stuff like that. And then you see other times where he just doesn't have any idea that he's supposed to set a screen here and the players are getting mad at him. Or there are other times where he's clearly in the wrong pick-and-roll coverage. And so can Josh O get close to being what Jonathan Chamo Chachua was defensively uh, during the championship season? I don't think he's going to get to where John was last year because John was the best defender in the league. But can he get close to what 2021 John was? Closer he can get to that, the much better chance Baylor has to contend for a national title and repeat the Big 12. The second one is, can Jalen Bridges be a 35-plus percent three points through the rest of the year there's going to be some real opportunities going forward where if you are defending Baylor I think right now you just got to say we will be the team that finds out if Jalen Bridges can actually shoot threes we had that sample size of him being 40 percent plus as a freshman and then being well over 30 percent hitting a lot of free throws last year I don't think he's going to keep shooting this poorly I heard really good things about his work this summer Sam Bassini put him in his mock draft to begin the year I think with kind of the same line of information and Scott Truck from the game said, you know, he's been making these shots in practice. So the day's going to come, I think, where Jalen makes some shots. Once that happens, the offense will really open up again. But if those two things happen, I think they can win the Big 12. If those don't happen, I think Texas is probably going to win the league. Gotcha. So you are very high on Texas. You, you believe in them. Yeah, I think it's fair to wonder, like, is Tyrese Hunter really going to shoot this well from three? Maybe not. But that uh, guy they got from Mexico State, I think his name's Rice. Rice or something. He's been really good in the games I've watched. Marcus Carr, I think, is more natural off the ball. Tyrese Hunter's great. Timmy Allen's good. 
they've got a good team, and they were a team that I thought was the most disappointing team in America last season relative to talent. Maybe a few guys bolt, and then Tyrese Hunter comes into the uh, fray. That team's really good, and they're a lot better than they should have been last year, and they should have been a lot better than they were last season, too. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense, and, and great points. I think Josh O, the development of him, you know, that, that kind of answers the question on if they're trying to get John, you know, Chamachacho back, uh, right? If, if Josh O can develop them, there, maybe there's no rush um, for, for, for John to come back. And then, uh, you know, Coach Drew in the press conference alluded to Bridges and I think Caleb Lohner as, you know, two, uh, two guys that are really coachable, really, really well liked, uh, that are just trying to still put the pieces together of like the new offense and the new defensive schemes and everything like that. Uh, so it'll be interesting to track their per, uh, progressions as the season goes on. I agree with all of that, Andrew. Well, that, that's all I have, Kendall. Sure. Amazing analysis. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, pleasure to join you both, fellas. All right. Yeah, that was great. Thanks, Kendall. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That was the Bears Illustrated Podcast. relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.